Hello and welcome to the Sunday Salon, the podcast that celebrates brilliant books and the women who write them. I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode. Lisa Tadeo is a phenomenon. She shot to fame as the author of Three Women, which covers the sexual and emotional lives of three women from very different backgrounds and regions of the United States. It was described as groundbreaking, seminal, and having created a whole new genre. Now she has written a novel, Animal, a gripping and often dark story of rage, power, control, and abuse. I couldn't ask for a more interesting interviewee. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lisa Tadeo, welcome to the Sunday Salon. Thank you so much for coming on. I am so, so excited to be talking to you today. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure for me to be here. So, so many people absolutely fell in love with your writing with three women. And now you've published your first novel, Animal. And people are really, really excited about it. And I wonder if you could just start by telling me a bit about it. How would you describe it to anyone listening who who hasn't got hold of a copy yet? It's a story of a woman who has had enough. And she's had a lifetime of sort of suffering various different indignities and abuses. And she gets to this point, this thing happens on on the first moments of the book where a man she was once, who was once a lover of hers shoots himself in front of her while she's having dinner with another man. And that it's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. And she sets off on a mission to uncover the reason for why she feels she's where she is in her life. And that woman is Joan, which is an, a name I, I, I love. It's actually my grandmother's name. It's also oh, wow. a name I love because it sounds so kind of noirish. And it's so it, funny. It's... My my best friend just named her. We had not discussed, like she had not read my book. I purposely was not sending her my book because it's I wasn't recommending it to pregnant friends. But uh, her, she just named her daughter Joan. And it's so funny because we are very close best friends and we had not discussed our two names but to have them be the same one and, and for different reasons, but also in a sense, like it's a very, you know, it's a really important, um, you know, obviously it's, it, it's just, it's an important choice in, in both on both sides. And it's just interesting that I think that name is so powerful. Why do you think it's powerful? Why did you choose it? Someone said to me, and I had not thought this, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I thought it at one point, but someone remarked how it was, you know, there was both Joan Didion and Joan of Arc that are like, you know, Jones that come mm. to mind. And it's funny, it's I'm hard pressed to think of someone named Joan that doesn't exhibit some marked strength. And she describes herself as depraved. And at one stage, so she doesn't really have any female friends. So in many ways, she's kind of an anti-heroine as, as well as, as you say, displaying this strength. Was that a sort of intentional, I mean, presumably it was intentional because you've you've written the book, but did you sort of particularly want to explore, I suppose, a spiky woman? I don't want to say a dislikable woman. I don't like the way that people always talk about dislikable women, but a spiky woman. Yeah, um, I would definitely call her spiky. It's funny though, it's not so much that I want to explore a quote-unquote dislikable woman or even a, a dislikable main character, But what's interesting to me is is exploring a really honest character. Mm. 
And I think there's a difference between those two things. I, I think that so much of what we see as unlikable in fiction is really just true. Yes. And I'm not saying that everybody has, you know, Jones, whatever, but there are, um, one of my friends actually said something to me that is the most wonderful things that someone has said to me about anything I've ever written. And she said that she felt like the character of Joan had given her permission to sort of be okay and accepting of the vicious parts of herself that she doesn't want to be. But the idea that those parts of us are there and pretending they're not there, I think, is is a bigger disservice because you're not examining the emotions that maybe make them, you know? So I, I think it's interesting. I just wanted to examine someone who was going to tell the reader all of the shit mm. that we're not supposed to say. There's lots of sort of vulnerabilities and, and traumas that are laid bare as well. And I wanted to ask about um, the idea of being sort of sexually voracious while also being I suppose used to an extent at the, at the same time without I don't want to reveal specific plot spoilers particularly but that complex dynamic of female sexual appetite but also sexualization by wider society and culture can you tell me a little bit about sort of exploring that yeah I mean I think that we still have a fear around how we talk about sexuality, our own female sexuality specifically. I think that, you know, we've gained a lot of ground in how we have mainly going forward want to conduct platonic heterosexual relationships with members of the opposite sex. But we're not doing that, I think, amongst each other. And I think when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to sexual threat, I think that, you know, obviously there are the the sexual threats that are completely violent and out of nowhere. And then there's the ones that we are more complicit in. And, you know, complicit, I'm using that loosely. What I what I mean is like the ones that we, we, we we're not just walking down the street and someone jumps in front of us out of the bushes and, and hurts us. It's a different kind of pain that's inflicted when, when you are walking down the street with the person hand in hand before they jump on you. It's, and you have to sort of go back and think about what parts you played and not to say that you are to blame and not even to think about the notion of blame, but to go beyond blame to kind of like, you know, what are all those little decisions that you make in your brain? Like, at what point should you have known better is something that, you know, I think is really interesting. And the notion of knowing better, one should have known better. Like, at what point do we, you know, I think we have these expectations of ourselves that are gothic and, and unfair. And I think that we put them on other people, too. And we just kind of want, we, we try to jail our emotions a lot. And I think that with Joan, I wanted to explore what it looked like when someone was done hiding. And can I ask about grief? Because mm -hmm. she is bereaved and she carries around her parents' ashes with her as she travels from New York to California. And of course, you absolutely don't have to answer this if, if you don't want to. But you've spoken very, very movingly of, of your own grief uh, when your your father 
when you were younger died in a car accident. It's a very sort of raw portrait of grief in, in that sense and the idea of kind of physically carrying it around with you. Can you tell me a little bit about that and about whether or not I suppose you channel some of your own experience of grief into the the writing of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, grief is is a big part of everything that I write. It was a big part of Three Women, too. I, I think that I was perhaps more in tune with the aggrieved parts of of some of the people that I profiled because of my own my own experience with it. And Animal is very much um, a book about a woman, an aggrieved woman. Like that is, uh, you know, more than rage, it's grief. And I, I'm really pleased to to hear that you see it that way. You know, for me, yes, I had lost my parents, not in the way in which Joan loses her parents. But what I think is interesting about sort of relativity is that you know, I I might lose a dog and, you know, someone else might lose a sister on the same day, but the loss of the dog might weigh more heavily on me than the loss of the sister on the other person, depending on what, what relationships we are most, we are closest to. And so I think that, um, you know, though I did not lose my parents the way that Joan does in the, in the book, which is rather, you know, shocking, in many respects, the loss I felt of my parents felt to me like sort of a tiger bite. You know, it felt to me something much larger than what what was showing on my skin. And so I did want to explore that in Joan. Can I ask a bit of background about you and your life? What were you like as a, a child growing up and what made you interested in in writing? Because, of course, before you started publishing books, you were a very successful magazine writer. Where did that come from? Well, I had always, um, my greatest joy was always writing short fiction, short stories, ever since I was like, I'd say 10 or so. I've always, even before I could really properly read when I was like five or so, I would read a book and every every word that I could not read, I would just make up another word for it. And I would tell my stuffed animals a story as though I were reading from a book to them. (laughs) Um, So I've always been obsessed with the idea of stories and and with reading stories and with, with telling my own. I wrote a lot as a kid. I spent a lot of time in my room. My parents would not let me go away to summer camp where all my friends went. So I was just kind of stuck in a very dark house in the summer with like all the lights cut out, you know, so that it wouldn't be too hot and writing, you know, in my room or, or reading outside on our very sunny patio without any water source or pool. I just, I remember being very hot and um, I was always bothered by the heat. And I think that that's also shows up in animal, but I've always been a voracious reader and I've always, I've always written. And when you say you were a voracious reader and you, you'd always written, I suppose, what are the different authors or styles that have been important to you? Not to say influenced you, but have mattered to you. Yeah, I mean, I, as a, as a kid, when I first started to read, I read most of what my father and mother would sort of leave behind after they were done 
like they would get these books. There was like this free, um, it, I guess it was, it's funny. I haven't thought of it till now, but it was kind of like the beginning of the little free library. Do you guys have the little free library? I don't think we have the little, I mean, we do have just free libraries, like the council provide them. Right. So we just have local libraries where you just show up and. Oh, this, I mean, this is what, what it is here is like a little, um, a little glass window kind of like where you would get a magazine or a newspaper only and like you can just slide it open and there's just a bunch of books in there and you can take a book book. and so there's a lot of of little free libraries that now it's a thing but I was thinking but back when I was a kid at our at the town pool we used to go to there was this little like this little area of books where you could like give a book and get a book and it was just a really cool exchange thing and I used to, my, so my parents would get books from there, from the pool. So it would be like John Grisham and Virginia, um, I'm sorry, V.C. Andrews. I was going to say Virginia Woolf. It was not Virginia Woolf at the town pool. It was V.C. Andrews, um, who I love, and lots of Stephen King. So as a child, I read a lot of, you know, murder mysteries and mm. horror stories. So I've always been very much... And I always had a very dark sort of, I was a depressive child probably because my mother was a a depressed person for a lot of my life. I read a lot of dark stuff and it definitely colored me. Can I ask where the idea behind Three Women came from? It's such an extraordinary piece of sort of reportage of writing and journalism and the the kind of combination of the three is such a remarkable and rare thing to do. Where did that come from? I had um, been sort of given this opportunity to write a nonfiction book about nearly any subject that I wanted to. Um, and I just found desire to be something that, you know, especially at the time as a, as a single woman, I was thinking a lot about love and desire and seeing a lot of and just being very um, tuned into my friends and and their and their struggles, and I loved talking to them about their things and talking about my own. And I felt like in that camaraderie of talking to other women, mostly about about situations, it just felt good to exchange ideas, and it felt like a real release. And so I was naturally intrigued by the idea of desire, and so I, I sort of pitched a book about desire. Like I, at first I thought it was, you know, going to be this comprehensive book about sexuality and, you know, gay men and, and Asian women, like just like a a complete compendium of, of basically an encyclopedia of any kind of sex by any kind of person. Um, I just wanted it to be super comprehensive, which is funny to say that now it's, you know, come down to three women as the title as the title would would suggest i think that you know wanting to sort of tell this grand overlording story of of sexuality began to feel like the impossibility that it was because of how different people are and there never being enough space to get every single type of person in there so what became gradually more obvious or not obvious because it took a long time to get there but what became gradually more apparent was that it was going to be interesting to sort of tell some truths of of our desires and wants 
but in a more in a, in a closer manner like to, to i'd be able to get more at the truth of all of sexuality if i got at the very specific truths of just a couple of people who would let me in in a certain way you mentioned that it took a long time it took am i right in thinking it took 8 years but you had a 2 year contract initially um mm-hmm. to write the book well, first of all, what happened after two years when you sort of said, look, I'm not going to finish this, but also how did you keep going? It must have been quite difficult to keep going. It was. I mean, I never considered stopping because I uh, I was way too grateful for the opportunity. I think one of, uh, you know, it's not ambition so much and other stuff that kept me going. It's really the idea that there had been this editor who had given me out of all these other people who wanted to write a book, he had given me this chance and I didn't really have, you know, the experience for the chance that he, it was not commensurate really, but he believed in me and, and in, you know, several stories that he'd read that I'd written. And that was meant so much to me, especially coming off as I was of, of losing my parents. It was a very sort of dark time. And this person was believing in me and the idea of, you know, even though I knew I could have said, you know, hey, I, I don't know if I can do this. And I actually, I couldn't have said it because I had spent the money by then. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, it, it's also money. It's like, you know, just, it's just like anyone would go to work every day because they have to, you know, you can't just not show up for your job. You all, it was my job, you know, and I had put so much into it that I could not quit and not get any of the returns from it just you know just factually speaking and can I ask a little bit about I suppose persuading the women to do it in the first place and also stay with it because of course I mean you've spoken a lot about the scores and scores of interviews that you did where you'd get quite far down the line with someone and then they decide they wanted to hold something back or they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. How did you manage to keep Maggie, Lena and Sloan on board? Was it a sort of difficult balancing act or were they just fully invested and that was that? Um, You know, there was never any persuading of getting someone to sort of do anything. And that might have been why it was so difficult to find people because I was very... Uh, I never sort of tried to sell what I was doing. Mm. Um, I didn't believe in it. My, not I didn't believe in it, but I didn't, one, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so I could not speak from a place of confidence about it. And two, I didn't want to sell someone on something that they might, you know, that like there's things in life when, you know, somebody could sort of, my husband the other day said, oh, you should, you know, you should make that joke to that person. And I, and he thought it was so funny. And I I was like, Oh, okay. And then I did it. And then the second after I did it, I was like, wait, that's not a joke I would have made, you know, and I felt haunted by that. And and I, I hate that feeling of when you are talked into something that is not a Mm. good idea for you. And so I did not want anyone, you know, I didn't want to be involved in anything where someone would feel like they had been brought into something that they didn't want to be in. Yeah. So that was very, so it was hard. So I never persuaded. I kind of, you know, I also, it's not like I was trying to play hard to get either. I was just like, I was desperate to talk to people, but also desperate to not intrude in someone's yeah. life. 
And, and it was, a, so it's weird. I mean, I think, you know, I became, uh, which is why the, the three women that ended up being in the book, that they each had something that they wanted to say. And mm-hmm. so it became, it became a, a sort of place to, to say what they wanted to say. That the, if they had not had something to say that they wanted to say, they would not have been in the book. Do you know what I mean? In, in a sense. But there were times for sure that with Sloan in specific, who I, I've said many times I would not have spoken to her if I had known the book was going to be as widely read as it has been. But it was hard sometimes to get Sloan to come forward with things. But, you know, at that point, it, it I had been talking to her for several years or a little over two years, I think. And I had so much information and so many things, but I needed to round out the information with, you know, I like, I liked to, with each of the women go over the things that I had, I had asked them ages ago and sort of see where they still felt about it then. So there were so, there was just many parts of the process that I, and I had to keep saying, you know, walking that line between, I I don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure a book is going to come out that will have, you know, these experiences of yours in it. Um, but also, I don't know if a book will come out, you know, so it was just it it was it was a constant that aspect of it, which which was part and parcel of the reporting itself was a very difficult part. You mentioned that if you'd known it'd be so widely read, you wouldn't have included Sloan. Does she feel the same way? Are you is it something you discussed? Yes. You know, the conversation has changed, I think things are a lot better now in certain ways in that respect. I I don't know. I think, you know, on some days I think she feels like she's happy that she did it. And on other days I feel like she wishes she hadn't, but I do think it changes. I mean, I know that it changes from time to time. Have they all read the book? Are you, are you in touch with them? Yes. Lita was not interested in reading the whole thing. Uh, sort of start to finish. So she skimmed a little bit. The other two, Maggie is a, um, Maggie's actually a consultant on the show for Showtime. Yes. Uh, yes. So she's very much engaged and Sloan. Yes, she definitely, we talked a lot about it. Can I ask, given the sort of clear, I suppose, sense of moral compass that you, you had about the whole thing, whereby you, you didn't want that on your conscience that you'd sort of influenced or nudged or hoodwinked someone into it was it then it must have been really really difficult when doing it to both stay objective but to avoid being too much of an influence it's I mean it's a you know war reporting is uh, the comparison that's actually often made with regard to the book but the other thing I thought of is reality tv when you're sort of watching reality tv and you, you think well is this what they would have done organically or is this the producers feeding them a line mm-hmm. and I know it was important to you to avoid that kind of meddling what was your kind of approach in that in that regard I was very 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 careful with not wanting to be any sort of cog in in the in the machine of their lives I didn't want to affect the trajectory in any way um so what I would do as you know I was very conscious of our conversations when I would be talking to Lena, for example, who often would ask me for advice, I would never give her advice. I would tell her experiences that had happened that were similar to me, but I didn't, I was very, 
you know, I, I, it was difficult because sometimes I wanted to advise her in a way that might help her quote unquote, get the guy. And other times I wanted her to not to leave him and to just, you know, I wanted what she wanted for herself. It was funny because with Lena, I wanted so much of what the sort of id wants. I, it, I felt like I was like Lena, like if I could help Lena, I would be getting my own way all those past times in a sense. Like I was like, so I, I had to stay away from that. It was an impulse I had to really fight. And also at the same time, wanting though to be a part of her life in a, in a positive way, you know, like I want, she was talking to me because it was helping her. And so I also wanted to be a, a friend, you know, and like something, somebody that cared. It was a very, it was a weird, weird sort of space to, to exist in. And it feels, you know, much different and better now. If that's obviously a singular writing and research and reporting experience, I imagine Animal was, was vastly different. Can you just tell me a little bit about the actual writing of that in the sense of a sort of, I suppose, how long was there between the initial kernel of an idea and, and, and the finished product? But also, what was the process for you? Do you write at particular times of day? Did you sort of find yourself plotting things out and then coming to it? Could you just tell me a little bit about the actual writing of, of the book? Yeah, um, I wrote it as my thesis for um, my MFA in fiction at Boston University. So I was writing it while I was in school. I was going to a couple of classes a week and I had my daughter and I was also trying to finish three women, um, finish up like the last sort of bits of reporting, et cetera. And I was, I wrote it first in the third person and it felt very sort of stodgy and not like the correct voice to me. So then I rewrote it in the first person. Um, and it started in that that's when it sort of came alive and it it came fairly easily to me because once I found the voice of Joan, um, once I knew who Joan was and, and once I knew that Joan was going to say whatever she wanted to say and do whatever she wanted to do. And w- once I decided to stop worrying that people were going to think of me as Joan and, and hate me. Once I sort of got over that as a writer, it really made me feel free to to just write this person who who I had seen in my head. That's so interesting that you wrote it as third person to start with, because I think that, I mean, the narrator, uh, the narrator's almost cinematic in that you can imagine that that doesn't really make sense when you're talking about hearing a voice in your head. But um, the narrator's voice is such an important part of it in 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 that way um you could almost imagine it as sort of a voiceover and a and a sort of noir film and when you were worried about people sort of muddling up you and Joan that's that's also really interesting I mean is that a do you think that's a peculiarly female yes experience <laughs> yes I do I think it's absolutely wildly female thank you for asking it because I don't understand I mean I guess I understand but it's it's shocking to me someone said somewhere that like how could Tadio or Tadeo, um, you know, I'm sorry, I've called myself the, the way that my mother called our name and the way that my father did were completely different. So sometimes I slip into the wrong one. But someone wrote the way that Tadeo condones murder is something, something. And I was just like, wow. 
So if a character, if, you know, like it, it's just, it's, it's, it's something about the first person and it being a, a female character and a female writer is so haunting to people, I think, that they can't separate it. And they, I, I don't, it's, it's like, we're so afraid of the angry, mad woman that we can't even see her in literature without trying to suss out who her, you know, mother is. Do you see this as women's fiction, to use a phrase that I hate? Um, it's this sort of idea that women are writing about their lives for other women. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that and if that's something you've come up against? I just think it's so short-sighted to to call something women's fiction. I think anything that doesn't have a definition that you can really point to is a dangerous word because how would you define women's fiction does it have to be a female narrator you know does it have to be does the cast of characters have to be predominantly female or can it just be does the woman have to be you know to have some measure of strength there's just so and like you know now as opposed to years ago I think that to call it women's fiction as though to say that it's only relevant to women um, whereas men's fiction or with fiction rather is, is relevant to all um i think is really is is behind the times yes i completely agree i feel like i need to clarify i phrased that that uh, question so clumsily and it no. it sort of sounds like i was asking you if your book was women's fiction no, no, no. and regular listeners will know that so this is a recurring theme on this podcast that no, it's a complete nonsense category <laughs> category <laughs> unless we're going to start talking about men's fiction as well. And in terms of the sort of rituals and the kind of nitty gritty of the actual writing, are you ritualistic? Do you write at particular times of day? Do you write in sort of full eight hour bursts? Are you very professional about it? Or does it, you know, do you have to write at three in the morning listening to house music? Can you just tell me a little bit about that? I have to have total silence. I am better in the morning than in the afternoon. Um, but I've just been learning that, even though I've known it my whole life. I've had periods where I've written till late in like into like the three o'clock in the morning zone. But it's not so much because I am. It's more about the idea of being completely alone. And at three o'clock in the morning, I have a daughter, so I can be assured that even if she's going to wake up several times, that she is going to be asleep for most of the night. And there is a freedom in that that is different than the freedom when she is at school or somewhere with her dad where I'm still worried about her. Uh, I'm, I get, I'm very worried in general as a person. So the idea that she's in my home, like right, you know, a couple of feet away from me, it makes it my best time to write because of the safety of it. What else do you worry about? Everything. Do you worry about criticism while you're writing? No. <laughs> um, I don't worry about that. I worry about like uh, life and death things like health right. and accident. And, you know, I'm very much traumatized by what happened to my parents, uh, which is, you know, why it appears an animal in a certain way. I'm that's one of my greatest traumas. And I have I have several going, <laughs> but those are my big ones. And I really think that being open and honest about fears and pain in, in one's writing is really important, is more important to me than people who are going to say that things are outlandish. You know, I, I always find it funny when I write a lot about 
things that not only have happened, but that are very extreme. And I've had a lot of extreme things happen to me in my life. And I think that's a, you know, coming from where I, the sort of parentage I came from, not that they were, you know, desperate, dangerous people, but they had their own set of dangers that, you know, they weren't as careful as, um, as parents are, as a lot of parents of my daughter's friends and even myself these days. And so I came from this dangerous place and I think I'm very interested in writing about danger and, and, and the sort of the stuff that happens at the, um, at the, on the steps of society that we don't always bring out into the daylight. Can I ask what's next for you? You've published fiction and nonfiction. What, what, what is next for you? Um, I am adapting three women for a limited series at Showtime. So I've, and I've been doing a couple of film and TV um, other projects too. So I'm developing a lot of television and film projects. So that's the next kind of foray, but I've also just um, signed a contract to write my next book about grief, um, which will be nonfiction, part memoir, part reported nonfiction. And when when do you think we can, ex- is that sort of an eight-year project or is that uh, something? <laughs> I, I am hoping it is it is somewhere between, I'm thinking somewhere between two and eight. And my collection of short stories will be out next summer. Wonderful. Well, lots to lots to look forward to there. Um, thank you so much. Before I let you go, I'm I'm going to ask one final question, which you've had a slight, very very slight advance warning on, which is the question mm-hmm. I ask everyone, and and that is if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Gosh, you know, I would have written more sooner i i think i would have not i would have written instead of playing video games i played a lot of video games when i was a kid (laughs) well that is fantastic advice although interesting because i wonder if i mean maybe the video games made you who you are and made your writing so unusual (laughs) that was the second thing that came to mind so i would agree you know i guess i guess well then i guess i don't have an answer to the question (laughs) well that's fine that's fine Lisa today thank you so much uh, for coming on on the Sunday Salon it was really wonderful to to talk to you and to everyone listening Animal is out now so that's it from us thank you very much for listening to the Sunday Salon please do share your thoughts about the episode with me I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alice Zania and if you're enjoying the podcast please do think about leaving a rating or review So until next week, thank you very much and goodbye.